I gotta tell you, I had one of the most incredible experiences in my Christian life just the other day. Uh, it was Sunday afternoon. I got invited to a hymn meeting. A hymn meeting is uh, this motorcycle club that we have at our church. Uh, these bikers uh, ride for God. They say they're part of a different sort of a gang now, right? Well, let me tell you about this experience. Um, I came in to uh, the room. We were in one of the Metro kids' rooms, and uh, I was told to expect maybe, I don't know, 50 people or something like that. And when I rounded the corner, there was like 40 or 50 people outside of the room. And I kind of go, hey, why don't you guys go in the room? And uh, they were like, because the room's already full. And I'm like, come on, no way. And and I kind of made my way through the crowd. And I get into into the inside of the room, and it was crazy. It was like just packed out with people and there was as many people in the room as out of the room and out of the room as in the room and I'm talking to a couple of the leaders there going man we can't have this we're gonna have to go somewhere else so we brought the motorcycle club into the main auditorium at Riverview and uh, it was amazing there was probably a hundred I don't know 120 people there and uh, I, I remember getting up there and one of the first things I said was boy I feel underdressed I, I uh, never seen so much black leather in church before all in one place but uh, as I sat there through this meeting I got to this point where I could hardly even fight back the tears because it was one story after another story after another story about what God was doing in people's lives it was an amazing thing uh, Jesse uh, our leader he he begins to talk of his own personal story about how he came out of uh, some of the most notorious biker gangs around and and how literally God picked him up out of those gangs and uh, saved him and changed him and started to remake him and then instead of uh, sanitizing his life instead of just placing him in a nice little church building uh, God called Jesse back into the very clubs from which he came and, and and so Jesse began to tell these stories and others began to tell the story of how Jesse would go back into these clubs and to share about Christ and I want you to think about this uh, you don't you know easily walk into some of these these people and just start telling them about Jesus. I mean, Jesse had to be incredibly purposeful and incredibly wise to do this. And and so he, he, he began to share about how week after week, month after month, literally year after year, he would go and, and visit with these different gang members and, and how he would, you know, just gently share Christ. And so I'm listening to all this and, and through all of this, I gotta tell you something. Uh, they kept talking about me and my role in the hymn ministry, these, this motorcycle ministry. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you people talking about? I've done almost nothing for this group. I haven't done anything to, you know, to help them along. I've had a couple conversations and kind of welcomed them in and that's about it, right? But all the way through the event, they just talked about our church and about my role. It was just crazy. And so I'm listening to all this and hearing all these stories and I'm just fighting back the tears because I'm seeing these, these pretty, tough dudes, you know, talk about how they have fallen in love with Jesus and how Jesus has changed their life. And uh, so when all this is going on, I notice off to my right, a couple of dudes who are sitting right up front and I uh, didn't recognize these guys. And uh, they were from a little motorcycle gang called the Iron Coffins. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the iron coffins, but these guys were all patched in and, and sporting all the iron coffin stuff. And, and you don't get all that stuff from the iron coffins unless you pretty much have broken every rule that there is to break. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what are these dudes doing here? I mean, I was kind of getting nervous a little bit, you know, and they, they just don't look like church people, if you know what I mean. And, and so they, they were sitting right up front and, and I noticed that and at least one of them, they had this like patch and above the iron coffin patch, it had a Jesus patch. And that's all it said, it was just Jesus. And I'm like going, this is kind of weird because iron coffin, you know, the coffin nation, as they call them, they don't wear Jesus patches around very often. It's just not the type of guys that do that. And so I'm listening to all of this. And, um, and at some point, Jesse gets up, he's our leader and Jesse gets up and he says, Hey, I just want to welcome my brothers from the iron coffin here. And I'm like, kind of confused. Like, going, what do you mean by brothers? Because you know, the motorcycle people, they all go like, Hey, you're my brother because you ride. But when I listen to Jesse talk about it, 
I felt like he was talking about brothers because of the Christ relationship, right? Because they were Christians. And I'm thinking to myself, iron coffin people just aren't Christian people, you know? And and so all this is going on. And, and so at the end of all that, uh, these two dudes from the iron coffin, they get up, they come up on stage, and they tell Jesse, they, hey, we want to say something. And I'm like going, uh-oh, what are these guys going to want to say? And uh, through all of this, they begin to tell how Jesse reached into their life and how different people from our church reached into their life and they shared Christ with them and how their life was literally moved from darkness to light, how, how they went from one kingdom to another kingdom and, and listen to this and so because of Jesse's direct input and because of our our ministry's direct input these guys listen to this are now chaplains with the iron coffins let me tell you something iron coffins do not have chaplains they do now because God moved them and God changed them through through a ministry at our, our little church. It's amazing to me. Um, I, I also heard through this time that, that Jesse went back to his own uh, motorcycle club that he was part of for years, and these are, these are bad dudes, right? And uh, not, not church-going type of dudes at all. And Jesse goes back in and, uh, and, and just reaches out, and, and get this, he starts dragging some of our people back into his own old club. And uh, through that process, the, the leader of this motorcycle gang out of Detroit, uh, basically uh, his son gets cancer. His son's you know probably in his 40s or 50s maybe, and he gets cancer. And, uh, and, and during the whole dying process, our people just reached into that club and loved them and cared about them and went in and prayed for them. And the most amazing thing is when his son dies, he... He invites Russ and Jesse to come and to do the funeral, to talk about Jesus at this club funeral. How crazy is that? That, that? That's a story of going from dark to light. That's a story of how God changes people from the inside out. And that is what we're going to talk about today. If that doesn't fire you up, then you're dead in your soul. I mean, if that doesn't move you, then there's just something unmovable about you. Now, I don't know if you caught this on the way in, but uh, check this thing out right here. They, uh, I mean, I was blown away. Listen, I'm telling you, this meeting I was in, it blew my mind. I felt like I was living inside of the kingdom of God. I really did. And so, uh, I, totally unaware of this, you know, I'm sitting up there doing my deal, and, and uh, they're, they're like paying this kind of honor toward me and toward our church, and I'm kind of not getting all this. I'm like, what are they talking about, you know? And then all of a sudden, Jesse calls me up, and he gets this leather out, and he says, we took up a little collection for you. See this right here? Pastor Jay. I mean, this is like the total deal. I'm like patched in. And I'm like totally confused at this point because I know enough about this whole thing to realize that you don't get your patch unless you have something to ride. And I'm thinking to myself, they took up this collection for the leather and then for, for the patch. And I'm like going, they must have taken up a leather or a, a, an offering of some kind for a new Harley or something. And I'm like going, fire me up. And then, and so let me tell you, they did. I'm not, Bill, roll it out, baby. Come on, roll it out. Come on, roll it out. Come on, bring it. Bring it. Oh. <laughs> Apparently, uh, they skirted the rules a little bit for Pastor Jay, right? Uh, but I tell you what, you guys, um, this was an incredible time because it was a room full of people who experienced a transfer from one kingdom to the next. It was like God was truly alive in their life. They understood what it mean, meant to go from, from darkness to, to light. And, and, and so when this whole thing was done, uh, Lynette and I were in the back of the auditorium and uh, uh, we're, we're sitting there with our kids and the room had emptied out and I was just fighting back the tears. I'm kidding not. I mean, I mean it just was just so emotional for me because I'm thinking to myself, um, what did I ever do 
to really deserve any honor or respect from these people. I mean, sure, a couple conversations along the way, but really nothing significant. And, and then it dawned on me. I said to my wife, I said, Lynette, I understand now what I did. I get it. She says, what? And I said, well, I just told Jesse um, that he was welcomed here. And his friends were welcomed here. And, and, and it's true. Um, somewhere along the way, Jesse and I had this little conversation. He says to me, he goes, I don't know if you want my friends here. I said, Jesse, you're welcomed here and your friends are welcomed here. He goes, no, Jay, you don't understand. These aren't normal dudes. These are bad dudes. I'm like, Jesse, they are welcomed in our place. And he's like, no, no, Jay, you don't understand. Their language isn't all so good. Their manners, is, they're not all so good. And they're a little rough around the edges. They're not church going dudes. And I'm like, Jesse, they're welcomed here. And he goes, no, Jay, you don't understand. A lot of these guys have spent a lot of years in the pen and they're gonna be coming into our church and I'm not so sure the church folk here are gonna be ready for that. And I kept saying, Jesse, they are welcomed here. And if anybody says anything about it, I'm gonna tell them that I'm with you and they can leave. And I'll tell you why, friends. It, it, it dawned on me because these guys have spent much of their life as outsiders, uh, thinking that they didn't belong anywhere, let alone in a church. And so they've spent their lives forming these, these clubs of outsiders so that they can be insiders somewhere. And you know what I thought we should do as a church? Somewhere along the way, I thought, this is the kind of church that we need to be. We need to be a church where outsiders can truly become insiders. Where, where people, all people, can come and experience the life-giving transformation that is found in Christ, where they can belong to Christ, where they can belong to the family of God. Amen? And so uh, I just think it would be cool if we just took one moment and just ask God to put his hand over the next few moments as we talk about this idea of being transferred from one kingdom to the next. So Father in heaven, uh, I come before you and I ask that your spirit would move in this room. God, I pray that we would see just how big and how powerful and how strong you really are. Speak to us, God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. And so if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been talking about something very, very deep around here. We've been talking about Tupperware. And we've been talking about this little book in the Bible called the book of Colossians and, and two key words that jump from this book as, and, and they're the words in you. And these two words, in you, Christ in you, it changes everything. Everything It changes the whole God-man relationship. It's Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. It's the hope of anything good. It's the hope of something eternal in our lives. Christ in you. And so we got around this very complex idea that, that it's Tupperware. It's the Tupperware gospel, right? And that, that somehow you're in this world and you got all this sin inside of you and you live in a world of sin. That's where I live and you live there and we struggle with temptation and all this stuff. And, and somewhere there's you right here, but but Christ reaches into our life and, and he comes and he literally takes up residence where? Where? In you. And so he is in you. And not only is he in you, but it says that he's still with you. Not only because he's in you, it doesn't mean he's no longer with you. He is still with you. And so he's in you and he's with you. And so you're with him and, and you go like right there inside of Christ. And so there's the whole deal right there. It's like Christ in you, you're in Christ. And because of this relationship, it says that everything about the God-man relationship changes. You are now seated pretty right here with God. You're inside of God. That you're, the God's hand is over you. His hand is around you. You are in his presence because of Christ in you and because you are in Christ. It's the hope of glory. It's the hope of heaven coming into your life. Y'all with me on this? Y'all with me on this? And so we've been calling this the Tupperware gospel, right? And, and it changes how we view our relationship with God. And so some of y'all are going, well, that's not too deep, Pastor Jay. No, that's deep stuff. That's life-changing stuff. Um, but what I would like to do is we're, we're kind of in this old-fashioned book series, right? We're, we're actually doing something old school. We're, we're started in this book of the Bible, starting like just verse by verse, just taking it through one little section at a time, okay? And so if you've got a Bible or if you've got a smartphone, I would love for you to find Colossians chapter 1, and I would love for you just to follow along. And we're going to study this together because we want to go as deep into God's Word as we possibly can together. Y'all with me on this? So Colossians chapter 1, if you get a smart, I, I know you have smartphones. Come on, 
Get your phone out and Google Colossians chapter one. It'll help me out, it'll help you guys out. It'll be great if we can study this together. So if you remember that, uh, that we started off by saying that this is a letter. This isn't a book. It's really a letter that Paul, the pastor, writes to his little church. Uh, the church is in the Roman city of Colossae. It's a mid-sized Roman town, very pagan. And there's this little church that is growing up in this town. This little church is trying to get the God-man relationship right and they're trying to figure out who Jesus is and how to follow Jesus. And, and so Paul hears that they're getting off track a little bit and he writes this letter to start correcting them, right? And so uh, he begins to write to them this idea that, that you guys are making a big religion and a small Jesus. You're making something big out of religion and you're making something small out of the relationship with Jesus. And he says, you got it all wrong. You got to flip this bad boy around. You got to make a big Jesus and a small religion. You got to have this relationship with Jesus at the very front and center of your life. And so he begins to write about this big Jesus and how important he is. And as we learned last week together, we said that, that he begun, begins to write to these people, much like the people in this very room, much like me, who claim to be Christians. They claim to be followers of Jesus. They take on the name of Jesus willingly. Nobody forces them to do this. They take on the name of Christ for their homes. And, and, we, and Paul begins to say, because you willingly do this, God has the right to expect certain things from you. Y'all remember this? And wouldn't you say that's reasonable? If he's God and we're not, then he has the right to make expectations from us. Wouldn't you agree? Yes or no? Wouldn't you agree on video? Yeah, I think you would. Be because he's God. And Paul begins to remind us of who he is and how big he is. And because of this, that we need to step up our game in certain areas, that we need to change some things in certain areas of our life, that we've got to get some things right. And so we're going to pick it up in Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 13. We're just going to read a couple verses together, and then we're going to pick this apart. So you got to get this. you got to get the big picture reading. So here it is. The big picture reading is this. So Paul writes to them. He's already given them this kind of list of expectations. He's prayed for them. He's trying to up their game a little bit. And then he tells us why Jesus is so important. Okay? Here it is. He says this. For he, that is God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. And that's Jesus, right? In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of what? Sins, right? Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For by him all things were created things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Amen? That's the reading of God's word. He gives us this full portrait of the power, the bigness, the goodness that Jesus is to us. For those of us who believe, he is the center of everything for us. He is our obsession. And Paul begins to paint this picture. So I remember uh, when, I, when I was a kid, um, I lived in Battle Creek, Michigan. I love that town. I love my friends there. I love my school there. I, was, uh, I think I was in eighth grade uh, my last year I lived there. And, and uh, it, was, it was a good life, you know. I had this paper route, right, this paper route, and I delivered it on a three-wheeler. Anybody remember those three-wheelers? Long live the 80s, baby. And I was like this rich, young tycoon in the making, right? I mean, I had this paper. I was making all kinds of money. Life was good. I loved my church. I had a youth group. I loved my youth group. And, uh, and one day, uh, true story, I was in my youth group kind of setting, and in comes this, this amazing, beautiful, lovely young woman, and I was in love. I just didn't know her name yet. But I was in love. And, uh, and so she come, her, her name was Lynette, by the way. And, and so she comes walking in, and, and I'm thinking, life could not get any better, right? I loved everything about life. And then something amazing happened, something that was totally uh, off the, out, out from left field. Uh, uh, my father gets a job transfer. Uh, apparently, a couple high-powered people, my dad and, and his boss, the, the, the decision makers, right, they had this telephone call and, you know, a couple things get said and one thing gets said and another thing gets said and all of a sudden, a transaction is made and my dad informs our family that, that we're moving. And in that moment, my world seemed like it came unraveled. Everything that I had my identity in 
changed in that moment. I loved my, my home. I loved my friends. I loved my school. I loved this new girl named Lynette, right? And, and everything was, was changed on a, in a moment. It just radically shifted, right? Uh, a phone call happened and a transaction occurred and it was like everything moved. There was a new, listen to me, friends, there was a new normal in my life. There was a new normal in my life. And, and friends, let me put it in a picture like this, that God is saying to us, when, when there is this transaction, this Tupperware transaction, there is a new normal in your life, that there is a kingdom switch, that you go from one kingdom to another kingdom. Here, here, let me read this again to you. This is what he says. He says, for he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That's Jesus, right? In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. There is, a, there is this transfer that happens. There is this kingdom move that happens in there. When we figure this relationship out, when, when somehow we decide to cross the line of faith, there is this Tupperware transaction that happens and there is a whole new normal for us. There's a whole new identity given to us. Now, um, let me unpack this just a little bit because it, it doesn't take much to figure out that as far as God is concerned, there are two kingdoms and two kingdoms only. Did you catch that in here? There is what? The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the sun. Did you catch that? Y'all catch that? And there's not a lot of wiggle room. I I wish there was, but he just doesn't leave much variance in there. He just says there is two sides to choose from. That's it. It's not like you can uh, flippantly like go, I'm kind of in between the deal right now. I'm kind of working out some decisions. No, he says you're part of one kingdom or you're part of another kingdom. There's no dual citizenship thing going on. There's not like, hey, one day I kind of like to be over here. The next day I kind of like to be over here. He says, no, no, you got to pick one. It's not like, like when people, like we have elections around here and, and people like crazy people start going, well, if so-and-so is elected, I'm moving like my citizenship to another country. No, it's not like that at all. Right? There's no shifting it around. It's saying, it's, listen, you, you, you're in one kingdom or another kingdom. And so the question becomes, how do you shift kingdoms? How, how do you move? You see, I grew up thinking for a long time that, that you, you, you're in God's kingdom, that you're in there as long as you're a good person. You ever hear that before? I grew up thinking that there was like this, some sort of like a scale, like a heavenly scale, and as long as it tipped toward heaven, you're going to slide right in one day. And it'll be fine. As long as you do more good than bad, you're okay. As long as you're a good person, right? If you get a good job, if you pay your taxes, if you're fair to people, if, you, if you're kind to people, that somehow you're part of the kingdom of God. Friends, look at me for a second. That is nowhere in the scripture. Nowhere. There has to be a decision that's made. The scripture paints this, this picture of how God has to reach into our life and we have to accept his act of mercy, accept his act of grace, and we need to become obedient to this new kingdom, that there is a shift, there is a transfer that has to occur in our life. We have to accept the call and make the move at some point in our life. You know, so like for those of you guys who've been around church life for a little while, you hear church people kind of say some crazy stuff sometimes. They, they talk about um, being saved. You ever hear that? I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'll say, Clarence? Clarence, when were you saved? And they'll go, oh, 1972. Lord, save me. Right? You ever hear that kind of talk? And some of us think that's crazy talk. We think it's weird talk. But the reason people use this kind of language in church life sometimes is because, because it's true. Because they realize that at, at the end of the day, they, they've tried to fix themselves, they tried to change themselves, and they realized that they were in bondage, that they, they couldn't get free, that they kept going back and cycling through the same junk they always cycled through, and they're going, I can't escape it. And there was a point in their life, and most of us can define that point or come close to defining that point, where God reaches in, listen, reaches in, and he saves us. He rescues us. He changes our position. He moves us inside the Tupperware, Right? And there's a change that happens in, inside of us. Um, and so he begins to describe this, that, that we were self-determined for destruction, but God in his mercy, he, he, he literally rescues us. Anybody in this room know what that means? Come on. Anybody in this room ever felt the rescue of God? Let me tell you something I have. 
I can't even imagine where I'd be left to my own devices. Without the power of God at work in my life, I'd be an utter mess. Heck, I'm a mess half the time now, right? And I bet you, you feel the same way. A whole bunch of you feel the same way, that God rescued us. And so he begins to paint this picture, and he says, this is how it happened. He says, in whom, listen, we have redemption. You, remember, you know that word redemption? He says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And listen, in Christ, in there, we, we get a, a, a redeemed, we get a forgiven inside of there. And friends, let me tell you something, that is good news. Anybody hearing me? That's good news. When you're in there, you get this redemption card. You get this like get out of jail free card. You get this forgiven type of, of card. And, and so the Bible teaches that, that Jesus paid the ransom for us. And Paul is beginning to paint this big picture of Jesus, what he has done for us. He says, in Christ, you have been ransomed. Now, when you think of that word ransomed, you, you think of like in ancient times, right? You think of one group of people conquering another group of people and they got these captives, they got these slaves and then the first group that was captured, they'll go back and say, hey, we will pay a ransom to get our people back. Y'all hear me on this? They'll get our people back. Let me tell you something. The scripture paints this picture of Jesus going and saying, I'm gonna get them back. I'm gonna get my people back. I don't want them to be lost. I want them to be with me. I want them to be in me and me and them. I want to do life with them and I'm tired of them being away. And so he says, I'm going to go pay the ransom for them. And friends, listen, as, as Christian people, for those of us who are people of faith in this room, that's why the cross is central to our faith because that was the moment Jesus paid it all. That's when he paid the ransom for us because, friends, we understand this, don't we, that, that our sin, your sin, my sin, the blackness of soul, it has to be accounted for. We don't want a God who looks away and goes, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal the way people treat each other. It's no big deal the way people sin and mess it all up. No, no, no. We want a God who is gonna hold us accountable. And so the scripture says that, that the penalty of our sin is, is this thing called death, that we're literally held accountable for it. And Jesus says, but they can't pay the price. It's too steep. I'll pay it for them. I'm gonna give my life as a ransom for many. So somebody in this room who's experienced that ought to yell something. Y'all hear me? And, and let me just make a little side note here. Uh, for, for those of us in the room that have experienced this, that, that we say, you know what? I'll accept the ransom paid for me. I'll come to believe. I'll follow the best that I can. Let me tell you what happens when we get inside of here. A new normal happens inside of us. Changes start to occur inside of us. There's new desires placed in our heart. And yeah, there's a bunch of the old junk that's cycling around in there, but that stuff becomes a little less appetizing over time. And there's this growing desire to be in Christ to love him more deeply. And let me tell you something. It's hard to change at first. It's hard, it's difficult because we like the old me. We like the way we've always done it. If we didn't like it, we wouldn't have always done it that way. Am I right? We get used to it. But God changes us, he calls us, and he moves us to something new and to something different. And so somewhere along the way, we begin to desire a new normal. And eventually, I'm gonna tell you something, friends. You will like the new you. You will like it, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because the new you will look a little bit more like Jesus. You'll look a little bit better, and some of y'all look a lot better, <laughs> right? That's what he does for us. And, and so he, Paul begins to paint this picture of this ransom that Jesus paid for us, and then he says this, and he, and he, and he just elevates the entire game with Jesus, and he, and he begins to paint this very big picture of him. Now check this out. He, he says this little phrase, Jesus is the, in, uh, the image of the invisible God. Did you catch that in there? He is the image of the invisible God, and this word image is the Greek word for icon, Icon. And you know what icon means? It literally means the stamp. It means the reflection. It literally means the, re, the, the reflection, the image that you see in a mirror. That's what it is. Like when you look in a mirror, you see your icon. That's the Greek word for your image. And so Jesus is, is the exact reflection of God. And in Roman days, you, people understood this phrasing because they saw the icon 
of a man named Caesar placed on every Roman coin in order to, de to denote whose kingdom that they were part of. And so they understood this concept. And when Paul began to write to them and says, listen, Jesus is the icon of God. He is the reflection of God. He is the perfect image of God. He's not a blurred image. He's not a, 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 a skewered image in some kind. He is the exact image of God. As a matter of fact, there's another passage in the book of um, Ephesians, or no, Hebrews, in, in the New Testament Bible, it's, and it's uh, Hebrews 1.3, and it says this, that the Son, Jesus, listen, the Son, listen to this, is the radiance of God's glory, and what's this word? The exact representation of his being. He, he's saying, when you look at Jesus, you're seeing the very nature of God. Now, he's not saying, like, like if you see Jesus, you see what God looks like physically. It's not like he's like, oh, Jesus must be a first century Roman carpenter, you know, a Jewish carpenter. It's, that's not what he's saying at all. Um, he's saying his character, his, his, his eminence, his power, his authority, his reflection of the nature of God. That is what you see when, when you see Jesus. When, when, you, when you see Jesus stop to pay attention uh, to a divorced woman, to a hurting child, you, you see the care and compassion of God. When you see Jesus react to religious hypocrisy in his day, you, you see the holiness of God. When you see Jesus uh, react to the sinfulness of mankind and the, and the horrors in which way man treats one another, you see the righteousness of God come out. And, and when you see the, Jesus stop and, and grant forgiveness and hope and direction to somebody, you see the grace character of God come out. And this is why Christians, like people like me, when, when somebody asks, well, how can I get to know God? How, how, do I, how do you understand God? Or what makes you think you know God? My answer is always the same. Look at Jesus. He's God in the bod. Right? I mean, he's the reflection of God. He's the nature of God. And so we, get, we tell people, you get to know Jesus? Listen, you will get to know God. Amen? And so Paul is just elevating the game here. As a matter of fact, one time there was this uh, would-be follower of Jesus. His name is Philip. And he, he's kind of becoming exasperated with Jesus. He wants Jesus to show him a picture of God in some way, God the Father. And he, Jesus is always talking about God the Father. And he, he's like, you know, pointing everybody to God the Father. And Philip goes, why don't you just pull back the curtains and show us God the Father? And Jesus goes, are you crazy? Have you not been paying attention at all? He says this little phrase, and maybe some of you are familiar with it. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Paul begins to remind us, Jesus is everything. He reminds us of a big Jesus to follow, that he's worth getting to know, that he's worth giving your life to. The closer you get to Jesus, friends, listen, the closer you will get to your Father in heaven. And so Paul, he begins to paint this picture. And the next thing he says this, and this is a little bit confusing for a whole bunch of people. He says this, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Did you catch that in there? He's the firstborn of all creation. Now today we have trouble kind of with this terminology because we immediately think of the first one born, like my firstborn son. But, uh, but what's interesting is people start going, well, if Jesus was the firstborn, then he was created just like the rest of us. Right? And you kind of can get confused. Does that make sense? Like you read this in firstborn, he must be a firstborn son. And, and thus he's created just like us. And thus he is just like us. And Paul goes, no, I didn't say anything about firstborn son. I said he's the firstborn over all of creation. He didn't say the first one born. He called it firstborn. It's an expression in Greek that denotes a place of eminence, a place of power, a place of authority. So if you know anything about ancient history, um, the firstborn of a nation was the emperor and the emperor's family. They were the ones of authority. They were the ones of power. They were the ones of preeminence. Y'all understand this, right? And we do this the same in our country today. We call uh, the, the wife of the president, we call her the first lady. Well, is she the first lady born in America? No, she wasn't even born in America. And yet she's still our first lady, right? She's still our first lady. It's true. And, and so we understand the concept of, of preeminence, right? And that's what that's what Paul was painting for us. He's not like a firstborn child. He's bigger than that. 
He's preeminent. He's full of power and authority. And, and, and the scripture kind of points this out in some other ways. Listen to this. this. Let's get deep into the Bible here. Let's do a little Bible study together, okay? If you were to turn over to Psalm 89, I'll, I'll put it up on the screen for you, but if you were to turn over to Psalm 89, verse 27, God says this to King David. God speaks these words toward King David. Listen to this. He says, I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Well, David obviously uh, was born, um, but he most definitely wasn't the firstborn in his family. And he wasn't the firstborn king ever, was he? He was like, I think the 11th child in his family or something like that. And he wasn't the firstborn king ever on earth. What was God saying? That David holds a special place that he's powerful, that he's preeminent, that God is honoring him in a very special way. God also uses this term about the nation of Israel. Um, This is interesting. In the Old Testament, it says this, book of Exodus, it says, this is what the Lord God says. Israel is my firstborn son. Now, was Israel the first nation ever created? Was Israel the first nation that ever got together and said, hey, we're we're a nation, check out our flag, right? No, no, a lot of other nations. But what was God saying? He was saying that Israel holds a special place, that they're preeminent, that they, they have a place of honor in, in, among all the nations over the world. And, and so God is saying, or Paul is beginning to say about Jesus that, that he was the firstborn over all creation, that he has a special role, a special place of preeminence. Now, so when you think about the firstborn in ancient times, they had this special role, especially for the firstborn son. So if somebody has the place of highest honor in a family, it came with certain responsibilities and certain privileges. You, you know this, right? So like, for example, the first one is that we understand that what they called the firstborn was to receive all of the inheritance. It was kind of a bummer deal. Like if you're a child number four, eh, sorry, you got almost nothing. Okay, everything goes to the preeminent one, the firstborn. He was also, number two, listen to this, he was also to represent the father and the family when the father was not present. He represented the family in business. He represented the family in in, in authority, right? And then the third thing is this, is that he managed the household for his father. So I want you to think about what Paul was painting in the ancients' minds who were listening to this letter. He's writing to them about Jesus. And he says, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about Jesus. It's so important that you get this. Now, they understood it a lot better than we did. He says, Jesus is the firstborn over all of creation, over it all. And so what was he saying to them? That Jesus was the inheritor of all of God's goodness. That he is the inheritor of all of God the Father's grace and power and might. It was saying that that Jesus represents the Father to all of us. That Jesus is the image, the icon of God to all of us. It was saying that Jesus manages the affairs over all of creation. That he can speak for God. He manages it. So you can see what Paul is doing to them, right? He's saying, don't make a big religion. Don't make a big religion. What was he saying, friends? Make a big Jesus and follow a big Jesus. Y'all with me so far? Y'all, y'all seeing this? But then here's what he says next. This is, this is incredible. This is so amazing. He says this, verse 16. Uh, he, he, he elevates it even more. He says, for by him, all things, talking about Jesus, for by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Very simply put, Jesus created all. He is the creator. Things in heaven, things on earth, things invisible, things uh, invisible. Uh, Remember how we talked about how false teachers were coming to them? Do you all remember this? We talked about how this whole letter was written because people were coming along and they're making a big deal of all these religious practices, all these religious thoughts and all these religious feelings. But they were making a small Jesus. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You can't get bigger than the creator of it all. You can't get bigger than the firstborn over it all. You can't get bigger than the most preeminent one. Jesus is huge. Jesus is big. And don't let anybody ever take you to another one. Don't let anybody ever take you off of Jesus. If you lose sight of Jesus, you lose sight of all that is good and glorious in your life. Are y'all dead? Come on. He says, don't lose sight of Jesus. And that's why some people go, oh, man, you guys talk a lot about Jesus in that church of yours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. 
Because he's everything to us. He's our only hope. He's our only salvation. He is the one who reaches into our darkness and pulls us from one kingdom to the other. He is it for us. But it goes on and it says more than that, he is the creator over it all. That's huge. You can't get much bigger than that. But he says, listen, he says, and all things were created for him. All things were created for Jesus. And this denotes this idea of ownership. It's this idea that all things belong to him. And let me tell you, you can go, well, what's the big deal about all this? This is a huge deal. You know what this means? This isn't just a philosophical thought that's out there somewhere. What this means is that you are God's possession, that he created you and you belong to him. That's big. Because listen, when, because what this means in practical terms is that when you are distant from Jesus, when you're not walking in Jesus and he's not walking in you, there, there is a loneliness inside of you. There is a void inside of you. There is a lack of set, a soul satisfaction inside of you because something is missing because you are not where you belong. You're in the wrong place, the wrong uh, the kingdom. You're seeking the wrong glories for your life. And he says, you'll never be satisfied, ever be satisfied until you are where you belong. Amen? Amen. And, and so... I want you to think about this. Get this little picture in your mind. It says, it says that uh, it says that we belong to him. And Jesus, you can just picture the Father and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, this triune God in heaven. He's looking down on the brokenness of mankind. He's looking down at you, looking at me. And he sees our waywardness. He sees our brokenness. He sees us drifting further and further from him. And eventually they're going like, we gotta do something about this. And you know what happens in the, in the throne room of heaven? It says, Jesus says, I'll go get them. I created them and they belong to me. They're mine and I'm gonna go pay the ransom for them. And it says that he comes and he pays this price for us. Why? To bring us back to God. And this really wraps it all up because Paul then says this. He says, he says, not only is it all for him, but he holds it all together. He holds it all together. And if you ever feel like your life is falling apart, if like it feels like the wheels are going in four different direction, my guess is that you're not too much in there. My guess is that there's something missing inside of you. My guess is that you have forgot that you belong to him. And it says that he holds it all together. I remember about, um, I don't know, it had to be about 10 years ago. It was a long time ago. I read this article in Time Magazine and uh, they were talking about the cosmos. And you know what the word cosmos means, right? It, it literally means the ordered world. It means like the world as you see it and know it. It's the world, the organized world. It's called the cosmos. And, and so they were talking about the cosmos and, and how fragile it is. And it seems, like the, in this article, they were talking about how, how it seems like at any moment, the whole thing could go off like a nuclear bomb, that, that the whole cell of who you are and the, and the cells connecting, it's so fragile, it's so loose, and yet it's held together all the cosmos, and they were talking about the expanding universe. Have you heard all this stuff before? Right? You talk, they were talking about the expanding universe, and, and, and they were searching for a word about how is it all held together because of the forces of nature. Everything is set up for destruction and, and chaos and craziness, right? And so somebody in this little article wrote this term. It says, it's almost like there is a cosmic glue that holds it all together. And I thought to myself, that's not a bad name for Jesus, Cosmic Glue. It's not a bad name. You see, science doesn't know the name Jesus, but they point to Jesus. And they realize the need for, for the creator to hold it all together. Right? Right? It's, yeah. Come on. And so friends, uh, you know, late, ladies in the room, you understand this. Each morning you put on cosmetic to make order out of the chaos, right? Us men, we don't have the, that advantage. We're out of luck. Uh, let me tell you something, friends. I don't know what's going on in your life. But there is only one name that can bring order to chaos. There's only one name that can bring hope to hopelessness. 
There's only one name that can bring sight to blindness, that can bring hearing to deafness. There's only one name that satisfies the soul. There's only one name that brings forgiveness to sin. And it's the beautiful name of Jesus. And so at both campuses, I thought what we would do is uh, we would end together, worshiping together the beautiful name of Jesus. I would invite you to stand to your feet and then the campus pastor is going to come out and close us.
to understand you're in church. And you better get used to worshiping the name of Jesus. It's going to be worship for all of eternity. You just got to get used to it now. And uh, it wouldn't kill you to open your lips and raise your hands a little. It just wouldn't. Right? Amen? All right. Uh, can, we, can we just pray together? Can we just pray together? Just uh, kind of move us out of here. Uh, so, Father, uh, to, tonight we come to you and we praise you for your son, Jesus. And we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who rescued us. You, you rescued me. And God, I owe my life to you. My salvation, you saved me. And I know that full well, God. I'm not too proud to admit it. You are more than good to me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I pray that your spirit of grace would go over all of us, God. For those who are on the front end of all of this and they might be struggling to believe, God, I pray that somehow your spirit would just speak to them, that you would just somehow draw them a little closer to you. God, for those of us who've come to this place in our life where we say, I'm in, I believe, I wanna be in the Tupperware. Um, God, I pray that you would help us to take our next steps, that we would live a life of faith and devotion towards you, God that you would grow inside of us, that the obsession over your name would become more and more in our life. Do a mighty work inside of us, God. In Jesus' strong name, together we say, amen. Amen? Okay? Hey, now, uh, before we get out of here, if you want to pray with somebody up to my left, to your your right, we have somebody who would love to pray with you. You have to connect about anything. We'd, We'd love to do that.